Is Pepsi okay? I don't know if there's anything more offensive than a waiter or waitress asking that question. I'm kidding, of course. There are much worse transgressions one can suffer, but we've all had that scenario where you miss out on one of your favorite drinks. Whether it's a cocktail, whiskey, or beer, or if it's a mocktail, soda, or juice, there's always a drink suited for every person and every occasion, and it's always nice when your drink of choice is available. Within this metaphor lies the purpose of marketing in B2B SaaS. While we can't serve every single demographic that exists, it is up to us to know what our customers like so that we can cater to not only their needs, but also the needs of future customers. Someone who knows a lot about this and so much more, he's one of my favorite entrepreneurs in the entire B2B SaaS space, I'd rather just say in the business space, is Dave from Jasper.ai, or as he was known a few years ago when I sat down with him for this interview, Dave from Proof. Dave and I discussed, along with Michael Klett of Chargeify, how marketing integrates to all facets of B2B SaaS, and we just had a lot of fun. So all that and more coming up next. From Paddle, it's Protect the Hustle, where we explore the truth behind the strategy and tactics of B2B SaaS growth to make you an outstanding operator. On today's episode, Dave Rogan-Moser dives deep on marketing. We talk about the transparency rule, personalization and authenticity, how marketing is evolving, maintaining a sustainable sales cycle, and reducing operational inefficiencies. After you finish the episode, make sure to check out the show notes for an in-depth field guide focused on what we just went over. How do you find like competitive landscapes in your your businesses? So I think when we started, there was really just like one other competitor. Sure. And we were trying to craft this term social proof marketing and this like social proof marketing space kind of create that. Yeah. But like they didn't exist at all anymore. It was just like, oh, you're a widget. Like, are you a WordPress plugin sure. or is this like a company? Um, but then quickly after that, like, I don't know, we probably had 60 competitors, yeah. you know, come out of the nowhere. Yeah. Probably 40 of them named proof something or something proof or something proof. Well, it's because it starts off as a widget, but really the vision's so much but more. Then they than see that. it everywhere yeah. and they see our company growing and they're like, holy crap, I could do that too. You know, it's like a relatively simple product as well. And so I think a lot of people, a lot of them have compared themselves to us and have, you know, they show all the charts and like what they have and all that. But we don't really acknowledge them that much. And I kind of feel like when you're like the top dog, you don't need to do that or maybe you shouldn't do that, you know? And it's like, we're just going to kind of be us. And if anybody else wants to be us too, that's fine. Like they'll probably be able to streamline some off of us. Um, I think from like a position of leadership, we haven't done that, but I don't know that's the right answer. I just feel like it's like when you're like, Doing good things and your head's down, building for the customer. Like it's like I don't really need to compare myself kind to all these little guys. Out. Yeah, yeah. Like you'll just see our product and people kind of know that they'll like you it know, or not. Yeah, yeah, we're a good brand and all that. Yeah, that's my take. I don't know about you guys. How about you? Because you're in. You're. I mean, there's there's a handful. I mean, there's there's a lot of long tail, but there's really like five to ten, maybe max. Right. Yeah. You know, we got started early in the game. Like the, the whole reason that Chargeify started was because. Um, there wasn't good off-the-shelf billing well, solutions like you and back in 2009. Years ago, right? like, um, 2009, it was Spreedly and Chargeify, and then Recurly came in like 2010. Okay. Yeah, just a little bit after, um, and then Chargeby a little bit after that. But I mean, it is it is a competitive landscape, but what's great is the size of the pie, the SaaS pie sure. is just growing. Expanding. Yeah. yeah, which yeah. is great. Everybody's coming to realize that SaaS is the way, and it's what the strategy that they need. And then, yeah. Do you think you space. understood that as much as it's been true 10 years ago when you started it? 
that this was going to be big. Not this, not probably the not the scale always of it. Be no with yeah. that question, right? Like you never really know. Right? Ten I mean, years ago, I didn't know anything. To like go start <laughs> trying it, but yeah, I mean, like it was clear that subscriptions were going to be a thing, right? Like absolutely, like obvious. Um, it was much more skewed towards B two C at the time. I don't know if anybody really realized the extent to which B two B would move. Well, a lot to of media SaaS. companies, because media companies were like, "This whole ad thing's not working. Let's do, let's try a subscription," and that like drove a lot of it. I think. Yeah, let's back up just a little bit. I want to hear more about like how long your company's been around. What's the name of it? How long has it been around? Who are you? <laughs> what is your <laughs> essence? <laughs> what is your essence? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah. yeah, so our company's proof. You know, we've been around about two and a half years. Um, we're bootstrapped at the beginning, but then went through Y Combinator about a year in and grew from there. And yeah, basically what we do is we offer social proof marketing on your site. So you integrate into proof, you know, and we show live notifications across your site of what customers are doing, actions that are taking, signing up. So maybe you're on a site and it shows, you know, 72 people signed up in the last 24 hours. And even though it's not people you know, people look at it and intuitively think, 72 people, that's a lot of people. Like, I want to go sign up. It's like really weird, like place in the brain that makes you want to do things that strangers that you have no connection to do. Um, I, we initially hate thought, I hate it when it happens to me. It gets me every time yeah. and I know it's happening, but I'm like, oh, well, they did it. Totally. Like, I should do it too. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah, one thing yeah. people would always ask us. It's like, okay, do they know the people? Like, is it a picture of their like friend? And it's like, no, it's just Bob from Indiana signed up. Yeah. I like the specificity ago. where you're like Lafayette, Indiana. Like it's a very, oh, it's like a real person. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> well, now, did you guys see the, uh, the scandal on Twitter the other day of, it was one of the big sites, like hotels.com or, or somebody. Yeah. It said like, you know, hurry, there's like 14 other people left, looking right? at yeah, this yeah, room yeah. right now. And this was a developer and they like right clicked, oh, inspe inspected it, right? element, like the person who was browsing the site, inspect element and went to the JavaScript and found out it was a random, random yeah, number generator. Like plus a random number. Right. You know? But it, I think it, it shows, I bet that's not what you guys do. <laughs> but I bet, I think it, it shows that was the first question like when the I power, first the power with proof. I was like, is this real? Like, is it because that was what I was worried about? I was like, ah, I don't know, because I don't know. There's there's an interesting question about the ethics of doing a random number generator there versus doing because because people have done that with, you know, when you send your first invoice, they always say, like, do over a thousand. Don't do like invoice one. Like, you know, that's kind of like a small version of that versus like 14 rooms left on the site. Like, what do you guys think of that? Like, yeah, we were like, you probably have a against it. Of it. Yeah. But one, because just like morally, I think so. But also, if we're going to build a long-term business, people have to believe it. They have to trust it. And if they stop trusting it, there's no business anymore. You know, it's not going to work. And so I think it's the right thing to do. But also, I just want to be around in 10 years. And um, that's the biggest question we always get with like booking.com or, you know, hotels.com. People are always like, I thought that was always fake. And I actually don't know if any of those are fake or not. I assume that they're real. But then, yeah, that thing on Twitter, it's like, okay, like maybe everyone's faking it. Like we go pretty far to try to make sure it's real. Like, no not really hard. Like we're not like locking down every account not like manually checking every little thing. Like you probably could game it, but we'd make it pretty hard to do that. Well, I think you fall back on like, if you don't have enough personalized information, I think you guys show like 22 people. Like, yeah. so it'll just be yeah, like yeah. a very generic yeah, there's like various yeah, you know, ways to set that in up. In case like you can't get the personalization. Yeah. yeah. But that's been a, like a door for a lot of our competitors where they come in and they will do that. The random they, number yeah. Yeah. Or they'll, they'll yeah. offer, you can upload a list of past people or just like allow you to do stuff. And again, I think you could still use those features ethically, not the random number generator thing, but you could, you know, realistically upload a past list of customers. Oh, and yeah. Have that works. That's true. Yeah. But we've just been like, man, if we do that, you could just also upload a list of, you know, random people. Random and, people, and whatever yeah. and again it's just like 
if people don't believe it, it doesn't work and we have no company. And so that's why we've like really guarded that really, really well. Do you think that like there's some of these things that are super obvious, right? Like this sounds super obvious. And then there's others like the invoice thing I mentioned where you probably shouldn't be like embarrassed by your first invoice, but you know, it's like a common, at least that's what I heard. It was a common practice. Like how do you guys think about like the spectrum here of like trying to create full scarcity or like trying to like game things a little bit like in your favor because it's kind of a natural thing we all embellish a little bit but like how do you guys think about that in building a company i felt this all over again as we're launching you know this new product smart journeys yeah, yeah, where yeah. it's like we've got this company we've got three thousand plus customers is established but then i'm also kind of a startup with this brand new product yeah. like going back to the basics you know and it's like on those first couple calls you're like I feel that it's like I wanted to tell them that like other people are using it, you know, but they're not. And so a lot of times, you know, either I'll I just won't mention it. I'm not lying it, but I'm also not saying you're the first one, you know, or you like kind of tell them about all the other customers you've worked with. Or I kind of mentioned like any sort of like hooks I have to like I'm a real person yeah. with like real value to bring here. Like I've felt that all over again yeah. and have really tried to be honest and upfront. But a lot of times just like you just don't tell them like this is actually yeah. the first time we've tried this experiment totally. let's do it but i, I feel like honesty goes a long way like i know we we messed this up or i personally messed this up in the early days because we were we had price intelligently and then we were starting profit well and we were scared of like cannibalizing the little cash flow we had and so when we started the profit well site we didn't say like hey everyone on this list is using profit well but we were like we're trusted by these people therefore you should trust us and we just didn't we weren't as like transparent as we would be today about it and i think it was one of those things it made us kind of feel weird and then we quickly like changed it just because it was one of those things where that insecurity can really get to you like you're talking about but at the end of the day like that transparency and that like honesty i think is like super super crucial. and they're gonna find out at some totally point. you know it's like because they're gonna they ask sign the person up, as as you get to know, yeah. like, if you're gonna build a real relationship with them totally don't start it off on the and if you start it off on a terms. lie you're never gonna be able to like emotionally get there because you're always yeah. gonna be like he can't find out too much about our business because I told him we had a lot and yeah, yeah. he's going to find out we don't if he comes to our office or yeah, whatever. Totally. So. Yeah, it's interesting. That whole fake it till you make it, I think it's like really bad advice. Yeah, yeah. I understand why people do it and I did, you know, plenty of it, I think, like in my own insecure teenage years and stuff like that. But I think like that's one of those things that I think uh, as you learn more, like the whole wisdom has to be learned. It can't be taught. Like you just learn more about that. Yeah, you know, that I have a friend who just started good. a financial advising company and it's just him, but his website's like we, 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 we. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, they're going to find out yeah. like when they come to your it's office fancy, and you're like, like one desk logo. and a WeWork like, yeah, yeah, and there's yeah, no yeah. one else and there's no emails from Becky or John or whoever. Sure. I was like, that's not going to be good for well, you. We see people who do the fake email like there's a Becky. Becky doesn't really exist, but that's the catch all for like support and oh, stuff man. like that. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. I, I get it. I feel that. Do you guys run into this? I mean, you guys have been around for a long time. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, what I was thinking of is, as you guys were discussing that is just in the in the early days. So we've been around 10 years. I remember I did a lot of tech support for, for mm. people. Like I was essentially tier two tech support. Sure. But the relationships that you make when you're at that scale that become the authentic relationships, right? Like I would I would be IMing. This is back in the days of IM, right? It would be instant messaging like customers of ours, like trying to like live solve problems. And there's there is definitely like an authenticity there. And you get to know those people and then they really trust your business. And some of them are still customers today, you know? And at a certain point, you don't have that authentic connection anymore. Because you're so, scaling, yeah. yeah. But but then like, you know, you have tools like yours that create that connection for the, for the customer. That's, that's really nice. Do you find that though? Cause it's interesting. Cause the, the new smart journeys and like 
you know, you've gone more into the personalization space. Is that the space? Is yeah. that how we characterize yeah, yeah, yeah. it? Yeah. Okay. So stuff like just so everyone understand. Actually, you describe what it is because I'm going to butcher it. And I just yeah. So I mean, sure. kind of yeah. the evolution we've wanted to make is we feel like we sell conversion lift, and that started by selling social proof, and like social yeah. proof offered the best conversion lift, but we always felt like personalization was like a blue ocean. Very hard to do. A lot of people dabbled with it, but no one's really doing it. And we wanted to like figure out how to build tools that could allow you to get conversion left through personalization. And so that's what really what we're doing now is building tools that identify who's on the website and then swap out the content based on you know who they are to, to create a more relevant message, a more relevant offer for them all before the page loads. And specifically for B2B SaaS, because I think a lot of the you know, those funnels are different. They have different integrations, and different tools. We've kind of narrowed in on that. But yeah, that's kind of space where we still feel like we're selling conversion lift. Like we're still selling the same thing, just a different angle on it. But that's kind of where we're, you know, I, don't know if, I don't know if it's a pivot as much as like an evolution into like that. Well, the reason I love it is because we like we use it and it it like if someone's downloaded the ebook, I don't want to like give them that same, you know, offer, right? Yeah. I want to get either, Don't throw a pop-up at them trying yeah, to Yeah, I want to advance the, the next yeah. offer or just like have it go away depending on what it is. But the the reason I kind of love it, you know, in the context of like RevOps and some of the things we're talking about is it helps you create that authentic message a lot more. But what I'm kind of struggling with and I'm wondering from you is like is there a point where personalization and like social proof and these types of things get a little too a little too much, right? Because we've seen with, you know, we know people, you know, or superhuman recently, superhuman, you know, oh, we know you opened this email, like the tracking, which has been around in software for two decades at this point, everyone kind of freaking out because of a privacy aspect and their, their UX was a little bit too much probably. But like, do you think that the personalization can go too far where it actually will reduce the authenticity? Yeah, I mean, I think there's kind of two kinds of personalizations that we've explored this over the last year. There's like the in-your-face, hi, John, welcome back to the site, you know, here's your logo and, you know, all that, which is really cool. Like a certain kind of audience loves that. Like we have one agency that is doing that and getting lift from it. But like all of their customers, like tech savvy and kind of sure, cool and whatnot. they get it. Like yeah. that'd be super weird on, you know, a site that like my parents were going to. Like they'd freak out, they'd hate it, they'd be like, I'm not doing this. Like I feel like consumer sites would be a little bit different, uh, potentially. Or there's just personalization like they don't even know it's happening it's just it's just wow this is a super relevant message to me like this site was built for me you don't even know personalization's happening you just think that you hit the jackpot and it's like wow this is perfect messaging and so i think we're still kind of exploring that like what do customers want like i like the in your face because it's viral for us because people know it's happening they're gonna ask the company hey how'd you do that like with you guys for example on your blog like you wouldn't even probably know it's happening yeah, it's just ctas that happen to be you know in line with the actual blog post and yeah. happen to be at the stage that you're at yeah. and like, you wouldn't even really know it in a lot of ways and so i don't know, i think we're kind of exploring that i think a lot of it depends on like the customer that you have if they are open to that or if they'd be really freaked out by like your data being available yeah that's interesting. I like this so much better than like targeted ads. And when, yeah. when I'm clearly being identified when I'm in another property versus coming to the property, right? I'm already interested in it and then having it tailored for me. Yeah, I like that much better than. So you think the you intent know. is what kind of changes it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's like, we're not following you. We're tailoring. Yeah. You're coming to you us. You came to us. Tailored. Yeah. And now we know who you are. Right? Yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah. you know, like that's that authenticity again. Right. That's like in today's day and age, we kind of like lose like that personal connection with the, you know, the doorman at the building or whatever. It's like, well, it's kind of like coming to, to the brewery here. You know, they're going to ask you, oh, so like, what do you like? Those types of things. And then they're going to tailor the experience by suggesting like the right messaging or not the right messaging, but the right like beer, whiskey or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it's, so. it's much more natural. 
Yeah. I mean, this comes all back to like relationships, right? Which I think, at least in my opinion, I think that we're finally getting to the point where infrastructure is really good, you know, and, you know, tooling is really good where we can actually fulfill the whole mission of what I would argue is RevOps, but also just subscriptions in general, which is it's the relationship baked into how you make money. It's not just this transactional, let's convert. It's what we have to monetize. We got to expand revenue, all that kind of fun stuff. And so that's what I like about like products like ours, I would argue, like all of our products, like that's what the focus is, is like making that revenue operations and that flywheel actually turn quicker or just exist in general, which I think is cool. So when you look at like marketing in general, because you've been marketing for a long time, I would I would argue you're a marketing driven CEO. Yeah. Um, product's great, but like I'd argue I'm, re- like, I'm reforming. I'm trying to not be you know the marketing guy, but never, yeah, I love it. It'll and, never leave. Uh, I, I know it's never going to leave. Yeah, and yeah. so um, just speaking from experience. But when you look at like marketing in general, like the mission of personalization, the mission of relationships in the context of RevOps, like what do you think we're doing really, really well, like as an industry? And what do you think we're not so doing well and then we need to fix a bit? I think a big shift happening is realizing marketing is not just about very front end. It's not just about getting the conversion. And I think that's where the handoff has happened a lot where it's like as soon as they sign up, now it's customer successes deal and like they don't know much about them and you know the deals aren't talking at all. And so I think we've made this transition a lot when we first launched our company, we kind of came from like the internet marketing world. We were doing big launches and just, you know, a lot of sales and all that. Not as much good product on the back end. And all of our marketing was just all around that front end. And now we've realized, okay, like who's going to tell the customers about these new products that we have? Who's going to tell them about these new offers or this new, you know, these expansion opportunities? And it's like, the marketing team has kind of slowly shifted to like inside the product and the customers to now where I say like more of the focus is all around that. And like, how do we create new resources for existing customers, make them successful and then work outward from there. And we've seen it just practically. I was playing around in ProfWell yesterday, by the way, a lot of great updates in there. I hadn't been in there like two months. So it was sick, seriously. And we saw like our lifetime value has gone up like 85% in the last three months by just like, really focusing like all of our resources on that, which was cool. And it's like, now when we think about going back to marketing, like running Facebook ads or whatever, it's like, wow, we can like do twice as much as we thought we could before. So I don't know. I think, I think that's the shift happening is people aren't just thinking about let's sign them up. They're thinking about let's sign them up and then help them. And some are even doing, I think the right way of like, let's really, really help them first. And then we'll think about signing them up past there. I think marketing is like, they're thinking about the full life cycle way more now, or at least like RevOps is thinking about the full life cycle. I'm a little cynical about this too, because I think we all get it. You know, obviously the show is based on RevOps and things like that. But what do you think based on like your peers or your peers even in terms of like actually caring about this stuff? Because we've kind of been talking about like, we've we've talked about how RevOps is like, this isn't a new concept. We're giving it a name, that type of thing. But like, is it something where you think that the market's just going to force people to care about this regardless of what they care about? Because there's so many companies that I walk into where it's like, lead volume, lead volume, lead volume, spending more money on acquisition, not really caring about like customer success, like barely gets a role now. And yes, Gainsight has kind of like forced that into the market. But like, even then, if you look at like Gainsight's, you know, revenue versus like every other marketing automation product, they're very, very different because people are just addicted to that sugar of, mm-hmm. of transactions. What do you think on that? I kind of soapboxed Ooh. as yeah, I was saying yeah. the question. Yeah. Yeah. But like, what do you guys think? Like, do you think the market's ready for it? Like, what do you, what do you, so what's I, I think take? in our experience, we've got this flywheel. Like, we think of SaaS growth or subscription growth as a flywheel. 
not just a funnel that like at the end, there's got to be a referral stage that kicks people back into the beginning. And so, you know, as I've taken this flywheel idea where you're signing people up, but then you've got to activate them, engage them, expand them and refer them. It's hard to find the person in the company that cares about all of those. And so we've typically led with talking to like CMOs or growth people, and they care a lot about the educate and convert stage. But it seems like only the CEOs that I've talked to are the ones that care about the full thing. And if I don't get a CEO, like they are the RevOps person in a lot of startups that I'm thinking about. And like, I can't get the marketing people to care about anything past the conversion stage. Like, oh yeah, you know, that's product or, you know, whatever there. And so at least in my experience of kind of like working with the market, I'm not finding very many people that care about the full thing. And it seems like there's still a lot of meat on the bone, a lot of opportunity for companies that do care about that to make big plays right now. What do you think about CROs? Like, are you guys seeing a lot of CROs? Yeah, well, we have one of our own now. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah that's right. That's right. Recent yeah. hire, yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's, I think, a logical next step, right? Because, like, you've talked about the silos between, like, sales and marketing and tossing somebody over the fence to customer support. Like, that's not... It's not the best for revenue because it's not the best for the customer. They they see it as one relationship, so you can't see it as three different relationships depending on what stage they're in or whatever. So yeah, having somebody like the CRO could be the CEO, and I think that's a great way sure. to start, right? Because you've already got this person. Like have them look at the whole picture mm-hmm. and be the person who makes everybody come to the table and understand. Yeah, when you throw somebody over the fence, it's a bad experience for the for the consumer. It ends up in higher churn, right? Yeah, we see that a lot with like um, discounted customers a lot of times. So you'll see this at the end of a quarter, like for a lot of like companies that are like high growth or funded, you'll see this backbending, you know, revenue curve where basically like they're just closing a lot of the deals in the last like 15, 30 days. And that's just kind of what naturally happens in a lot of quarters. But then all of a sudden you look at the retention curves of those customers who came in the first 45 days versus the second. The first 45 days are always like much, much better customers from an LTV perspective. Oh, that's just super, super interesting. Interesting. Yeah. interesting. I guess we're always battling, especially with RevOps, like short term, long term. Who have you guys seen be responsible for expansion revenue? And is that kind of something that customer success should just focus on delighting them and serving them and don't think about that and then bring in sales or marketing to do it or customer success also trying to expand as well? I think Karen leads that whole team, right? Yeah, for customer success. We have a new um, install-based growth function. um, And we have um, just the, the perfect person in it because they spent time both in customer success and in sales. Um, and they are the kind of salesperson who is very interested in outcomes for the customer, right? So you're not going in and like saying, hey, time to upgrade, time to upgrade. You're going in and figuring out what their pains are, sure. right? And how that might relate. Oh, did you know about this other feature that's, you know, on this higher plan? And who do they report to? I might have to look that up for okay. you. Yeah, it's yeah. so new. I don't know. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I think it's still um, part of the customer success team. Right. But with the new, now that we have a chief revenue officer, that is the person who is is looking at this. But then you also have customer success that don't have to think about the upsells. Like this person just thinks about the upsells. Right. Yeah, because a lot of, I mean, I think sometimes when you put a frontline customer success person as responsible for trying to upsell someone, that makes them very uncomfortable. Yeah. Right. And the entire like interaction they have with the customer then feels to them like this high pressure. Oh, I know at the end of this call, I'm going to need to try to upsell them. I don't, Unless yeah. it's natural. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I hate that, like showing a little bit of our internal colors right now. I hate the So the debate. So what we've seen, at least because we've been studying this a lot, because right now we're going into we're like trying to restructure comp and we're talking about bonus structures for essentially who our customer success people are. 
And what we've noticed in customer success, people would be a much better advocate of the market. But what I've seen in the market is there are some teams where there are customer success folks, they'll have basically like 105% quota where everyone's got to stay retained and some people got to expand a little bit. And then there's others who, and then normally they'll have like an account management function where that's just like reactive or proactive support. And then there's others who kind of don't have any like connection to revenue at all. And we've been having a little bit of that debate because on one hand, it's like, again, back to this relationship, well, your goal is to keep and expand the relationship. So it's a little unfair to be like, well, we don't, we're not tied to the actual money in any particular way. I think it comes down to DNA. Like we kind of talked about in some other episodes where like our DNA is like, those people need to renew and you're responsible at least for the renewals. And so we comp based on not on 105%, but actual revenue that comes in. Um, and there's no floor. So we actually got rid of the floor. So it's like any revenue that comes in, they get comped. And the expectation is because it's product is that churn is zero. Um, and we have some trouble with some segments and other segments we're doing really, really well. So I don't know. What's and, it should, and it should be natural, yeah. right? Like it, you know, if your other products are aligned and if the music more is aligned, like it should be very aligned. Yeah. You know, it probably depends on the person too. Like, if they feel that internal stigma around it, like I don't really feel that. I'm like, yeah, like I'm going to help you more by like having you sign up for more products and all that. Yeah. There's probably a time and a place and like some, you, know, you got to be. Yeah. I think if it's a too aggressive, this is a personal opinion. Like I, again, I haven't ran a lot of customer success functions, but I think if you have aggressive quotas, like 150%, something like that, like that's a sales function at that point. But I think if it's just the baseline, I, I, I feel like, Assuming product is aligned with sales, customer success, all of these things are tied together, it should just naturally come. I don't know. It's interesting. Yep. We're learning about that. I don't have I don't have too strong of a insights. I think that's yeah, one of the questions we're really thinking through right now and how exactly to set that up. Yeah, we're we're struggling with it a little bit because we found that the DNA part, we have some folks who are just really, really good people managers, but there's no ounce of sales, like just anything. And they're kind of a, a version to it, like you were describing. Then there's other folks who are just really good at it. I don't know. It's tough. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So who in an organization purchases your product? Like which, which is it marketing? Is it sales? I think you know, a lot of what we're thinking about is like this new product. And how do we go in there? And right now it's been marketing, growth, Head of growth, growth, you know, marketer is kind of more the the terms that, and even we're seeing growth start to spin out is a little bit different than, you know, what it's been before in some like organization. But that's typically going to be people that care about getting leads and signups in the front door. And then I think, you know, we're open to other organizations using it as well. And I think product can use this because again, it's like anywhere you're using app queues, for example, to do in-app alerts, like sync up all of those messages and audiences and put those on your website. Like your existing customers are reading your blog. They're coming back, they're looking at an announcement, they're checking out pricing. They're, they're, they're all over your, your site. And so anyway, you're doing that, but that's going to be more like product people or maybe customer success. They're thinking about like activation and retention. It's kind of funny because no one's bridged the gap. I think that's what you guys are trying to do a little bit where like you have app queues and app queues like products. Mm-hmm. It's all after the conversion. You have a lot of products that are like the original product you had, which is all before conversion. There's very few that kind of like bridge that gap. Yeah. Yeah. People just don't think about it that way and they don't think about their marketing site. And probably one of the biggest feedback I get is they say, well, customers aren't coming back and looking at our site. They're just coming back. They click login in the top right and they go in and that's where we get them. 
And from what I've seen, that's just not true. You know, it's not all 100% of them on your site every month. Not going month. to the pricing page every month. Yeah, yeah. So it's not everywhere. Yeah. But I think about the SaaS companies or companies that you guys use that you really like. Like, I know every page on Intercom just because I like their blog. Like, I know I know like a ton of like pages on your guys' site. I know like a ton of Drifts pages. I know Segments pages. Like, I got, the companies I really like, like I'm all over. You know, it's like there's tons of opportunities to hit me with all sorts of customer messaging. Yeah. You know, I'm not just going back to the app. And so I think we kind of positioned it with people that have app cues. It's like, hey, like it's like app cues, but for your marketing site. And I've even talked with like Jonathan about that. He's like, we don't want to go, you know, outside of the app. And I'm like, I don't want to go inside the app. But it's like I think like linking those things too up. tight integration. Mm-hmm. Anything you're doing inside the app, you're probably doing it in the app and in the email. Also create some banners on your blog. Also create some banners on your homepage that just say the same thing that they just saw in the app before they logged out. Hit them with that again. They're going to see the message inside their email as well. So I think the marketing site is just a channel that there's a lot more opportunity than just signing people up. No one's really utilizing that yet. That's yeah. cool. I think one of the tenets of RevOps is to reduce those operational inefficiencies in your tooling. So like the product team signs up for app queues, marketing team signs up for proof. Well, hey guys, you could actually use the same tool. Just use proof from start to back. And, you know, that's, yeah. I mean, especially with the proliferation of SaaS and don't get me wrong, I love SaaS, but I think the average SaaS company now uses probably too much SaaS themselves just yeah. because each department, each function scratches their own itch. We have a ton of tools that are popping up to like solve for that, like Blissfully and some of these other ones. I think it's... What do they do? They scrape your email actually to look for all the receipts and then they report basically like how many subscriptions you have. So they'll tell us like, hey, that Salesforce annual is coming up for renewal or they'll tell us like you have 27 seats of X and you can go, oh, we should only really have 10. Like what's going on there? I don't know. I think it's interesting. And you're seeing this with like consumer cards, credit cards as well, where all of a sudden they're starting to show you like all of your subscriptions in a separate place. I think we're going to have a little bit of an overkill of like, oh my God, there's too much subscriptions, too much SaaS. And then I think it's going to come back where like the tooling will get good enough where we don't care as much, like especially with like elastic billing and stuff like that. When I'm only paying for exactly what I'm using, I won't necessarily care how many things I have, if that makes sense. I don't know. We'll see. Is that how you guys do billing now? Uh, We do billing. Yep. And one of the things that we're seeing is more and more of a move to usage, right? And even 100% based usage. So you only pay for what you use. Like AWS, Twilio, they've shown the way on that. So other people are starting to to sniff around and think that's a good idea as well. I feel like the big reason people don't do that is always just trying to predictability. Like, you know, what if everyone drops to zero? But you have that anyway with, you know, people can go and cancel all in one single month. I think we have the cl- like the cloud space to thank for like getting rid of that concept. They want to understand like predictability on some level, but they don't need predictability in terms of like a perfect budget as much anymore because none of their cloud, you know, costs are ever predictable, right? Or they're somewhat predictable, but they're not, they're always going to be variable on some level. And so, I don't know, there's going to be a few years, I think, where everyone's just comfortable with like, you know, pennies, you know, basically coming out of their account. You but, think that's where everything's going though? I mean, a long enough timeline, of course, right? Like, seems like, you it. know, it's like the Black Mirror episode where you pay per like tube of tooth, like little piece yeah, of toothpaste yeah, yeah. or whatever. Remember mm-hmm. that? I don't know it's if like it's the real value metric is like, yeah, the actual, every ounce of value I get, I will pay a little bit for. Yeah. But I think that you're seeing just with so much stuff out there, like everything's getting more value based in some particular way. And the only way you get value based is if you're actually measuring value in some way. Right. So we've seen Michael and I were talking about this today where 
I think like five, seven years ago, like there are only about 15% of SaaS companies or subscription companies using a value metric. So like per user, per hundred visits, per whatever. Now it's up to about 40%. Um, and that's really given the wave of like Chargeify and the rest of the billing field where now we can actually measure it. Therefore we can price on it. And then the next iteration is like Twilio where it's like, yeah, you might batch up your clicks or whatever it is in a monthly invoice, but it's not necessarily going to be like a cap on something or a range. It's going to be like what you actually used. Yeah, yeah I don't know. I, I think there's going to be like some industries where this is like DevOps, things like that, where it's just going to, it's already here. There's going to be other industries, probably like on our consumer spaces where it's going to take a little bit longer because it's just a little too transactional um, on a recurring basis. Yeah, it seems like engineers are very comfortable with that. That's like, like most it. of those tools yeah. are charged that way. Yeah. I don't see that in marketing nearly as much, but but you kind of like see it. it right when you're marketing automation. It's like contacts, but you pay like a hundred per hundred contacts, right? So it's kind of transactional already. You just don't feel it as frequently. Yeah. And then any ads products you're paying per click or yeah. per CPA or something like that. So yeah. I think it's coming. Yeah, so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you guys charge for proof? We charge based on number of visitors that have you know hit the page. I think it's a pretty good value metric. I think the perfect one would be like some percentage of lift. Like yeah. that's really what we offer you, but it's hard to track. It's just super complicated to do that. So you kind of yeah. find the proxy. Um, I think for like this new personalization product, what we'll probably do or we want to get to is like experiences viewed. Like how many times did somebody load a page where they saw in their viewport, like the personalized experience so there. it's not all my visits. It's, it's just not just a visit. Yeah, it's like visits. if someone hits yeah. a page where it's like you're personalizing the bottom and they didn't scroll down, like you're not going to pay for that. Or if they, you know, hit a page, it's personalized not on there, you're not going to pay for that. And so I think that's probably a step closer. It's a little more sophisticated well, as far as like like how we build that. It's kind of like the marketing pricing that like Slack or Help Scout does where if the user doesn't log in, you don't pay for them. Yeah. Even though there might be on your invoice, it's yeah. just they kind of do a little bit. I think they call it like fair fair billing or something. They don't call it fair use billing, but they call it something like that, which yeah. I think is interesting. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, I think we've been worried too when we started. It was like we're charging based on every visitor that like loads our pixel because there's costs associated with that. You know, but you don't want to get too like cost based, but it's still real. And I still got to figure out like, how do we make that cost cheap enough that we don't even care about it? And, like you can load a bunch of stuff and like we're not even really worried about it. But like, again, customers don't care about that. They don't care that like it costs us, you know, that we have an unoptimized uh, server process. They're like, hey, I just like want to pay for like when you do something for me. And so I think we've grown as an organization figuring out how do we yeah, only talk about the value we bring and not dump our internal inefficiencies on our customers. They don't care. Value-based pricing. I love it. That that comes up. I know. (laughs) Sweet. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Yeah, Yeah, glad to make it. This is a cool spot. A huge shout out to Dave for doing the podcast. Now you have what it takes to be an efficient marketing operator. Today, we talked about the transparency rule, personalization and authenticity, how marketing is evolving, maintaining a sustainable sales cycle, and reducing operational efficiencies. Oh, and if you want to support Paddle and the show, we would greatly appreciate it if you left a five-star review of the podcast or the equivalent rating wherever you listen or watch. The podcast gods tend to like that type of thing, and we like to appease the podcast gods. Thanks for listening. Make sure you subscribe to and tell your friends about Protect the Hustle, a podcast from Paddle Recur, the largest, fastest growing media network dedicated to the world of subscriptions.